Good morning, everybody, and welcome. Uh, welcome to Hope Church Online. We're glad you're here. Welcome if you're joining us on Facebook. We're glad you have chosen to come and, and worship the living God with us. Um, as we say every week, my, my name's Nate. I'm the pastor here, and, and it, um, normally we welcome visitors. We want to have you for a meal. We want to get to know you, um, but if you're online and visiting for the first time, I really would ask if you would reach out, info at hopechurch.us, um, Facebook message. We always want to know you're here have opportunities to get to know you. Most of all, pray that you would see Jesus as we as we worship him together today. A um, couple announcements, and then we'll jump into our service. Um, can't see it, but the air conditioning is going, so if you're worried about it being a cooker out there today as it is, uh, we have a wonderful new air conditioning system. Uh, we're, we're, we're glad, very grateful to those who did that work. Uh, some other work is happening as well. Um, the water project that started last summer to get village water uh, is actually happening. They, I think they actually connected it Friday to our system. So we're, we're almost there. So many thanks to, again to Jim Cornick, who, who does, does all this diagonal work for us. Um, second announcement, uh, right? Baby number five is coming. We're two weeks out, which means my wife is uh, starting tomorrow. Under, under strict quarantine orders. And so I'm gonna be a little bit more careful. I'll still be around, I'll still be working. You can get a hold of me via uh, phone calls. And if you wanna set up a Zoom chat, I'm happy to do that or you know, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be around. But um, it's just more so you know and are aware of why, why I am around and a little bit more distant in that regard. So August 4th, C-section, we're, we're getting closer. Um, during those two weeks, because I'm not gonna be doing as much in-person uh, meetings, I, one of the things I thought it would be helpful, because I, I got done my, our sermon last week uh, talking about faith and work and wanted to continue the conversation. So there's a lot more that can be said. So I'm thinking if you are interested in uh, uh, doing a, a Thursday night Zoom work and faith discussion, conversation, um, let me know. I'll be happy to organize that. I can, I can set that up. Aiming for this Thursday, and if we don't have enough interest, we'll, we'll try again for the next Thursday, uh, baby permitting, as <laughs> the baby comes sooner. But that, that is all, right? We are here still carrying each other's burdens. Um, you can remember the Mayus. There are ways you can love them by continuing to bring meals. Uh, most mow lawns, do some yard work as Mike fights cancer. But we're, we're called to keep carrying one another's burdens and do good to all, especially the household. So thank you for the ways you've done that and continue to do so. All right, well, let's, let's get ready to worship. And we'll take a moment now to pray and ask God to prepare your heart, prepare your mind, and give your ears to hear.
All right, well, today's call to worship is from Psalm 67. It will be projected behind me and should be projected for you online. Wait a minute for our online friends to catch up. Psalm 67 is a great missional prayer, praying for God to be known among the nations. All right, let's come into God's presence. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. You are my servant. You have been chosen to know me, believe in me, and understand that I alone am God. There is no other God. There never has been, and there never will be. I, yes, I am the Lord, and there is no other Savior. From eternity to eternity, I am God. No one can snatch anyone out of my hand. No one can undo what I have done. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. John's going to lead us in prayer. Let's pray together. Of all that we can imagine or think or know, you are worthy to be praised. Our triune God, we approach you, we come to you because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. He's enabled us to express truly from our hearts the love that we feel for you. And we pray that you would, Lord, be loved this day by your people gathered. Though we are all scattered around, we know that, that you are not limited in your perception. You see and you hear and you know each heart. We pray that your glory would be known, that your lessons would be learned, that your spirit would reveal to us the beauties and the glories of Jesus and the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit who have loved before time began and in eternity. And you desire, Lord, and you it is your delight to bring us into that life and then into that love. We pray that you would receive the expressions of our love for you are beautiful and wonderful and powerful and glorious and all the words, Lord, that, that you've given us and more. We offer our worship to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing over a thousand times. Please stand as you're able. Yeah. 
be seated. We're going to spend a few minutes praying for one another here. And um, so a couple community things that are, are happening as we remember each other. Um, I know Leona Diggs has left the hospital. You can remember her in prayer. Um, she is in Sunnyview Rehab, uh, getting her strength back from, from about with some medicine that didn't agree with her body. So continue to keep her in prayer. Continue to pray for the Mayu family as Mike's battling cancer and at home. and Just being able to rally around them as a as part of our family. We want to love them well. Um, I know there's birthdays. So today, Roderick, uh, Layu, right? It's, it's his birthday today. So happy birthday, Roderick. If you're tuning in, I can't see the letters are too small, but <laughs> we're glad you guys are part of the family and, and part, of, part of Hope Church. But we are, we are here to, to pray, pray the gospel into our hearts. And part of that is praying God's particular concern for us because he's a good shepherd and a good father. So let, let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, what a wonder it is, as we heard this morning, that from eternity to eternity, you are God, you are the same, and you have no need of us. And yet, by grace, you've chosen to rescue, to redeem, to renew, to even right all of our wrongs, and promising to never leave nor forsake us. Thank you for that great assurance that we heard that no one, nothing in all of creation, not even our own stubborn selves, can snatch anyone out of your hand. It's such a great comfort, Father, to know that you are holding on to us, even when we struggle to hold on to you. So I ask, Lord, that you would help us to live these coming days uh, through our these trials and tribulations, through successes, through failures, knowing that all of that is true for us bought for us and purchased for us in Christ Jesus. So for him, we thank you for your, for your giving of your son, the faithful witness who shows us what you're like. Firstborn from the dead who volunteered by, to give us, to share with us his inheritance by grace. What, what an astounding gift, Lord. We, we thank you for that. That he in humility was willing to suffer for our sakes, volunteering to give up the joy of your face, your affection, to be forsaken on the cross for our sins in our place, so that we can have that assurance and know that your strong hand is holding on to us, no matter the loss, the pain, the misery that we are currently fighting. We do not go through these things alone because you have purchased that, that privilege for us. So, Lord, even as we meditate on your faithfulness and we say thank you for paying attention to us as our creator, it is, it's hard to ignore the reality that we still are sinners, that we have a poor track record. So we come to bask in your grace, to enjoy your shining face upon us, but we also come moved by your kindness to repent. To say out loud together uh, in our hearts that, that we have erred and strayed from, from your ways, like lost sheep, that this is us. We follow too much the desires of our own heart that, that we get ourselves in trouble. 
We, we have broken your holy laws. We have left undone those things we should have done. We have done those things we should not have done. As the old prayer says, there is no health in us. Bark you. But with you, Lord, is forgiveness so that you might be feared, that you might be known, that you might be honored, that you might be loved. And so I do pray that as we confess these things, as we look at our sin, we would take even longer looks at the cross to see that it is forgiven, separated from us as far as the east is from the west. So now we turn our hearts and minds to pray for, for your loved ones here at Hope, uh, for the sick. We remember Leona. I pray you would give her strength to come back, that she would be home soon, that she would uh, recover and that this would be a, a moment that you would continue to comfort her with the comfort of the gospel. That because we hold fast to you in faith, you promise to deliver us to be with us through all these things. We pray for the Mayus, uh, for, for strength. Pray that you would heal the cancer in his body, in Mike's body. We pray for Sandy as they live together and, and, and go through hardship together, Lord, that in even when the clouds hide your shining face, Lord, that they would know in their groaning that you are working to all these things together for good. We don't always know what that looks like. We ask that you give them faith as if when they can't see. There are others, Lord, that are, are sick and frustrated and lonely and, and have other um, hardships. You know them better than us, and we pray that your spirit would pray, intercede for them with, with words that we do not have, that you would meet their needs. Lastly, Lord, as we get ready to hear the gospel, uh, we, pray for, we pray for us as your witnesses, that we would be a people who believe the gospel, who are courageous in our witness, that we would be a people who are slow to anger, quick to listen, able to have an answer for the hope we have, willing to answer people with gentleness and respect, Lord, we ask that you would change us, that we would be a living mystery, someone with, that people would see Jesus in us. With that, we also pray for our community that you've placed us. We love our, our neighbors. We love this town and, and pray for the, the peace and comfort of our neighbors who do not have the hope of the resurrection, that, that, that you would grab their attention, that you would re resolve their anxieties due to all the, the complications of going through COVID. Would you bless the businesses that are struggling, that they would be able to pay their bills, that, that you would truly make Bolson Spa a village of friends, people who live together, whether serving one another, whether they believe the same thing or not, and may we be a living example of that. We also ask for opportunities, Lord, for us as Hope Church then to have words to say, words of comfort, to speak of the rest and peace Jesus gives us in the gospel. Now, as we turn our hearts and minds to hear you speak to us in the scriptures, may I speak clearly so that the mystery of Christ may be seen. You would turn the lights on, so to speak, so that you might see the beauty and truth and goodness of our Savior who loved us first. So we ask all these things in Jesus' name, who loves us and has freed us from our sins. We pray this. Amen. All right, well, if you'll turn in your Bible 
it's also going to be projected behind me, but we're going to read Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. We're almost done. We started this in back when there was snow on the ground and we took a month hiatus when we were stuck at home. But this is the last set of commands that Paul gives to this new church in Colossae, right? This is about 20 years after the resurrection. And Paul's last commands have to do with how do you live among your neighbors who do not know Jesus, who do not believe or think or behave like we do. How do you live out the gospel if people don't know that Jesus is the best, beautiful, and most liberating news for a battered, battle-weary, worn-out world? How do you convince people that's true? To where they want it to be true. And that, that's the things we're going to talk about today. So let's let's read the text. We'll pray. Pray the Lord teaches us. This is God's word. Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and spoken to us today in love. Let's pray together. Father, you so love the world, you sent Christ to save it so that we might enjoy eternal life now. And we thank you for the testimony of the scriptures that you are patient towards everyone in the world, not wanting any to perish, but desiring that all should repent and experience the joy of your fatherly love. So today, as we talk about these things, I ask for wisdom and an ability to talk about Jesus with clarity that would be helpful so that we will be moved to go out from here able and willing to give answers to people that they might know that the gospel is true and comforting. So send your spirit to teach us, to show us Jesus, we pray. Amen. So several years ago, there was a, an, a, an interfaith dialogue at a, a New York, probably New York City seminary. It's a seminary run by mainline Protestants. And so to get this thing off the ground, they invited a delegation of Muslim leaders from Egypt. Right? See, I don't know if you've ever participated in an interfaith dialogue, but you know, it was hosted by the Christians and they stood up there with these mainline Protestant leaders welcoming their guests, declaring our shared humanity, our shared values, saying we can grow in our understanding of each other's personal beliefs. And then before the first speaker stood up, this was the, the introductory statement from these Christians said, now, if anyone believes their religion is the only way, they are not welcome here. 
course, the Egyptian Muslims heard that loud and clear, and they got they were ready to go home. It took a Bible-believing Christian uh, to, to convince them that it was aimed at conservative Christians, not them. They can stay. <laughs> so that was aimed at us, not you. Please stay. And I, I start there just to show the awkwardness and the difficulty of talking about Jesus, testified by the scriptures, as true for everybody. We wrestled with that in our country, personally. I mean, in this particular case, there was clearly no graciousness that Paul commands. Right? It was just a hammer, and those who felt differently were the nail. Who believed differently were the nail. I mean, in reality, if you believe your way of thinking is the only way, we should all get up and leave. Just everybody thinks their religion, their way of thinking is true. I mean, even that idea of there's no one way is correct is a very tribal, local, American, Western way of looking at spirituality. So, okay, we got we, we need Paul's wisdom. That, that's the point this morning, that we need help. Um, just figuring out how to talk about these things that doesn't shut down a conversation, but we have dialogue, we have people. I mean, Paul assumes here that people ask us questions that they want to know and hear from us. How do you get to that point? And, and frankly, this, this highlights our trouble right now. That's why I shared this story is just read the internet, watch the news. I mean, you can't even go to a grocery store without hearing some people having some kind of grumpy disagreement about something. And everybody's sure they're correct. <laughs> so when we're talking about religion, we're talking about the gospel, we're talking about Jesus. I think it's helpful to say out loud with an honest confession that we, we struggle to hold two things together as equally true when it comes to defending the faith. One, not being ashamed to say out loud, this is who Jesus is historically, according to the Gospels. Holding together truth that is true for all times, all people, all places. And two, doing that with grace or graciousness. Gentleness, another way to put it, of, of being able to talk about it in a way that just doesn't completely end the conversation, right? Jesus is offensive already. We don't have to add to it. <laughs> he offends every culture in some way differently. Uh, it's really hard to believe all of Jesus's words. Think Matthew 11, 25 to 27. Jesus says, quoting him here, he's, where he's really pointed. No one knows the Father except me and those to whom I show them to. Hear that? It's functionally saying no one can come to God except through me. I'm the only one, Jesus says, that knows God as Father. And at the same time, literally one verse later, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, for I am gentle and lonely in heart. That truth and gentleness, side by side, same conversation. Say, come, I'm free. I'm true and I'm for you. So I say all that, this is a longer introduction, just because this little passage has a lot of wisdom in it, and I know I need it, and I know we need it. 2020 is not over. We have a national election to go through, and I'd like to have friends when it's all done. I hope you do, too. 
so let's look at Paul. He has a lot to teach us. First, notice this. Paul commands Christians to be gracious. Uh, put it this way, to not be jerks with their words. Right? While he's in prison for his beliefs. So he's if anyone has an excuse to be bitter or frustrated or angry or grumpy, it's Paul that he's in prison. He says, I want you to pray for me while I'm being persecuted for my faith, for the belief that Jesus rose from the dead, so I can talk, talk about Jesus with others in prison. I mean, in some ways, I mean, who else is there to talk to other than prisoners and those jailers? So, I mean, there's part of what he's saying is, let me pray. Pray for me that I might be able to show my enemies, people who are against me, the grace of God. Astounding. And then he turns around and says, Pray for me. Here's what you must do, ordinary Christian. That's verses five and six. He says, Always use gracious words as you walk in wisdom towards outsiders, which are those who do not believe in Jesus. Always use gracious words, gracious speech. So start with a question. How's that going for you? How's that going for you as you, what topics of conversation make you forget this command? What, what, what disagreement are you in the midst of where you don't want to use gracious words? You just want to win, including myself here. So Paul says, Calling this, I'll put it this way, I'm calling the sermon Grace and Gospel Persuasion, but it really should be Grace and Gospel Attraction. How do you live and speak in a way that, that draws people to Jesus who drew you to him? So here's, we're just going to plow through it. There's, start with point one. It's, it's really helpful. It starts with you and what you believe about the gospel. Point one is the gospel is a mystery that has been revealed. Gospel is a mystery. And that's that's verse uh, verse three here. That's how Paul describes Jesus as a mystery, the mystery of Christ. Right? Before he gets there, he he starts by saying, "This is how you pray." And this is kind of, these are his concluding remarks. And he. These are his last commands before he talks personally to his friends in the church. He says, here's a general reminder to continue to pray. Don't give up. And so you know that prayer is not just about you and I getting what we want. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. Be thankful. Such a great descriptor, right? Gratitude, as you pray, you're paying attention and looking for excuses to be thankful to the God who is generous and has been generous in Christ. To be vigilant, like you're the night watchman looking for enemies. But being vigilant, looking out for reasons to be thankful. I mean, a, a great example of being vigilant, right? If anyone's ever been camping, and you've, you've ever been outside, it's dark, you're falling asleep, and then you hear those strange noises. <laughs> to where you are no longer resting, your heart rate's up because your imagination is now your worst enemy. 
Yeah, this happened to me when I was camping in, in Tanzania and on safari in a sand river. And it's dark, and all of a sudden you just hear growling and yelling and some kind of horrible noise. I guarantee you I was paying attention to everything that was happening. <laughs> right? As a lion, as a leopard, as a hyena, I can't leave the tent. I don't have any weapons. All I have to do is outrun my roommate. That's my only hope. <laughs> It was grumpy baboons, a little less scary. But that's the idea. Be watchful in the dark, looking for reasons to be grateful. So I think just the way to apply it, this is a good way to take your gospel temperature as we end Colossians that has just hammered home the gospel of grace. Look for opportunities, reasons to say thank you to God. When you stop saying thank you, it's probably a good sign that you're about to get grumpy towards someone else, but also that you're missing out on the wonder of being loved with an undeserved love, which is at the very core of the gospel being good news. I know that's what happens to me. I am less patient with my family when I am not thinking about the grace I have received from my God. According to Paul, God is forming you and I into a thankful people, a joyful people, people filled with abundant gratitude because of what God has done and included you with Jesus. So if you're grumbling, if you're complaining, is drowning out your thanksgiving, that will affect your words and your effectiveness of being gracious towards others. It's just, it's just what happens. It's part of being human. If you go back to Colossians 2.6, Paul describes the, the Christian life. He's talking about walking again. Paul says, you received, there's the gift word, Christ the Lord. So walk in him, abounding in thanksgiving. So how did you receive Christ? Well, you received forgiveness. So as you look at that forgiveness, may it move you to abound in thanksgiving. One of the ways you're vigilant is just by looking at Christ's forgiveness of you and your sins. Uh, one of the ways to be vigilant is to look at how God has been patient with you, bearing with you and your weaknesses, with me and my weaknesses. And as that warms your heart, it starts to move you to thanksgiving. Right? That helps you. It actually makes you want to bear with stubborn, sinful people like yourself, your neighbors. So be vigilant. Look for ways to be thankful for the gospel, for all of good, God's good gifts. It's just saying every day, preach the gospel to yourself. Use God's words. And Colossians has great words to describe what God has done for you. To make you holy and blameless. And above and outside and inaccusable or unaccusable, whichever one is better English, right? God cannot accuse you in Christ Jesus. That's a gift. Are you paying attention? So that's step one towards being gracious with your words. You've got to believe the gospel. And then Paul goes on to say the gospel is a mystery that he has to talk about. Did you notice how Paul talks about Jesus? where he says, pray for us that God may open a door for the word 
to declare the mystery of Christ so that I might make it clear. The gospel is called the mystery of Christ. And a mystery is not what we think in English. It's not like knives out wondering who did it, who did it, who killed Hill, who killed who. In the Bible, mystery is referring to God's will for the world. What is God up to? It wasn't known before. It wasn't clear before. It was like a sealed, unopened letter that now with Christ has been open and known and is now being communicated to the world. So mystery is saying what wasn't known before, that's a mystery, we don't know. Now we know it's the mystery of Christ. Christ is revealed. You see that? It's, it's saying that Jesus is the mystery of God's will revealed, not just for his particular people, the Jews, but now for everybody, Jew and Gentile. It's a mystery. This is, this is a grace word, and I really want to meditate on this with you. The gospel of Jesus, God's good news to us, is a mystery revealed. If you go back to Colossians 1.26, um, Paul describes his job description as an apostle, and he says, this is, this is what God has gifted me. This is the stewardship I have from God that was given to me for you, for the church, to make God's word fully known. God's word is called the mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations. So that language has been hidden, unknown for a long time before. But now it's been revealed to the saints. Now the mystery has been shown. Saints is, is another word for Christians, followers of Jesus. So if you want a source of Paul's confidence, how to be gracious, this whole idea of the gospel being a mystery has been revealed to you and I. So why are you here on planet Earth? Do you have any idea why you have been put in this particular corner of the world to do? Is there any overarching purpose or meaning for your life, your existence? And if you talk to secular atheists, you're going to say, well, I don't believe there's a God, so it's up to me to figure out what to do with my life. I'm going to do whatever I can to find and make meaning for myself. Before the circle of life kicks in and I become grass for the antelopes. They would say all of life is a mystery and I just get to figure it out. I reveal myself, reveal it to myself. People are more agnostic with the different religion they choose. They say, I don't really know what's right and true, but I'm trying to figure out what works for me. What a Christian says, is, I know what I'm here for. Because God's shown me. He's, he's revealed it to me. It's not because we're smarter. It's not because we're wiser. It's not because we had the, the mental clarity to choose Jesus. It's not because we're more moral or who we, who we vote for. As Paul says, God's mystery was revealed. It was shown to us. We sing that all the time in Amazing Grace. I once was blind, but now I see. I once didn't know. I didn't see. Now I can't unsee it. 
Right? I mean, think about why do you believe the gospel if you're a Christian? At some point, a friend, a family member, a co-worker, whoever it was, showed you, spoke God's words to you that Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection was not just a historical event, but it was also a personal event for you. you believe it's because God through someone else showed it to you. And if you actually saw it, it's because God revealed it to you and I in particular. Once you were in darkness, did not know. And at some point, every Christian realizes, gets to that point where I see this and I don't know why nobody else sees it. It must be a gift of grace. So I just want to ask you, do you have that category in your own understanding of the gospel that it's God's mystery, God's will that was formerly unknown, but now it's bright and clear because it's been shown to you? It's like God flipped a switch, turned on the lights, so to speak, to see your sin, to see your need of Jesus, to see that it's true, to see that it's beautiful. Paul says it elsewhere like this in, in Corinthians. The God who said that light shone out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's saying the reason we believe, and this is the context he's talking about, it's like, just like God said, let there be light. Boom, there was light. At some point that happened to you internally. Which means there should be no triumphant, I'm better than you and I figured life out. It gives us a humility when we talk about the gospel. Someone showed it to us. It's a gift. Something to pay attention to, to be watchful in in Thanksgiving. So that's the grace side. Paul's also obligated to tell it. He says, this is true. In verse, uh, where am I here? I've changed page. <laughs> he says, I must, this is how I must speak. I ought to speak. I have to tell others the mystery of Christ. When you see it, because it's beautiful, because it's good, because it's true, you have to talk about it. In verse four, I must speak because God sent me. I must shine a light on Jesus to tell other people about it. That Paul uses the same words that Jesus uses. And Jesus says, I have to go to Jerusalem to die for your sins. I'm obligated. And he uses the same words in verse 6 when he says to us ordinary Christians, you have to give an answer to people. This is what I must do. Paul is saying, once you've seen the mystery, don't hold on to it for yourself. Share the good news with someone else. It's true, but we're talking about grace. Last point here, and then we'll talk about some nitty how do you do this and as, a, as a normal person, right? This is intimidating, no matter who you are, because it means you have to care about Jesus to want to talk about him. And for many of us, especially in the Christian church, you, you feel like evangelism is for the apostles, it's for the professionals, it's for the pastors, those who have all the answers. 
which is nobody to be clear. <laughs> it's a mystery revealed. Look what Paul teaches you about how to talk about this. Evangelism is for the weak, people who need help. Even Paul the Apostle, who saw the risen Christ with his own eyes, says, pray for me. Pray for me that God will do his work, that God will open a door. You see this? I mean, this is so comforting for me as a pastor. Or any, any conversations I have with people, I can't change anyone's mind. God, you have to turn the lights on for them. So I'm going to pray that you do your work. To, to show them Jesus. It's right here in our text. Evangelism is, is for the weak. Those who believe that the gospel is a mystery revealed, who trust that God our sovereign king longs for the repentance and faith of our neighbors, even more than us, at the same time that he tells us, I've sent you to talk to them. Now, how do we talk? That's that's the last point here. Right? Need some wisdom for witnessing. It'd be tempting to say, Paul, you're the one doing the professional professional work. You're the one who's the missionary. It's just me here in my little town. Paul connects the dots here in verses five and six as he talks about how do you walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Right. Okay, how do I use my time wisely? Well, use your words, be gracious, season them with salt, give people answers. What are they asking? Well, apparently they're, they must be asking about Christ, the mystery, because of how you speak and how you act near them. So let's, let's break that down, right? If you're called to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, that means Christian art said, we are not sent by God. The church is not called to be a holy huddle. You can put it that way. We're not, we're not a club that, that only talks to other Christians. We're, we're sent out to live among outsiders, to live among our neighbors, to be Christ's witnesses armed with his wisdom. I mean, the assumption here is we're going to believe the gospel and live out the gospel among our neighbors. We're going to see something and say, why do you do that? You can tell them. In our context in the Northeast, to get to that stage where somebody says, who are you and why did you come from another planet? Why would you forgive me? You've got to build friendships and spend time with people so they even get to that point where they want to ask you a question. Paul is assuming that the Colossian Christians, Christians in general, will have non-Christian neighbors and friends. Is that true of you? Do you have somebody around that you are in conversation with? That they trust you? That they would ask you questions. And then he says, "Be what?" Right? He says, "Be wise in the way you act towards non-believers, taking advantage of every opportunity, buying time." This, this gives a little bit more of an urgency to it of, of just saying, you know, "If you have something to say, say it." Don't be don't be ashamed of the gospel. 
there's a place in Daniel 2 that uses this exact same phrase about making the best use of the time. Just backwards. Because right? in Daniel 2, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, has had this dream, and it's haunting him. And he turns to all of his wise men and his magicians and says, I want you to tell me what my dream was. <laughs> right? Tell me what my dream was, and then tell me what it means. And if you don't, by the way, I'm going to tear your limbs off, and I'm going to ruin your whole family. Don't want to work for that guy. And the magicians, the wise men, they keep saying, well, if you tell us the dream, we'll tell you what it means. Because their way of buying time is saying, well, <laughs> you tell me what it means, and I'll make something up so I don't get ripped to shreds. So what Nebuchadnezzar accuses them is, you're just, you're just making the best use of your time. You're buying time to come up with an answer. To that exact same phrase I used right here in Colossians. Make use of your opportunity. I think if you put those two things together, it's encouraging us to seize the moment, take the risk, talk about Jesus, the mystery. Even if you don't have an answer, say, I, I don't know, but I'll be happy to, to go find out. So, last, last thing here, wisdom for witnessing. We're called to talk to our neighbors. Take advantage of the opportunities and to use gracious words seasoned with salt. This is such a great phrase. Because one, I think it's saying, all right, I'm going to squeeze this so we get a lot out of it. We should be really careful as Christians. We want to be understood. We're going to use gracious words with our neighbors. We're not here in the church speaking in code, speaking the language of Zion that nobody else understands. If you've been around the church for any length of time, we have this thing called Christianese. Right? Big theological terms. Superlapsarianism. Or infra. Or justification, which is, comes up a lot more, just, just so you know. Right? It's not about being smart. I mean, it's about being precise with our language and understanding what God has done. But after you say those words, you got to explain what that means. Justification. God accepts me. He treats me as if I've lived the life Jesus should have lived. I'm perfect. Through faith. Not because of my work. He just gives it. Through Christ's resurrection. Right? That's... It's learning to, to be gracious with your words, speaking a language that our neighbors understand. Be able to communicate with your neighbors. Right? And this is, this is how my family and I do this. Right? We just generally try and be in our town as much as we can, when, when we can. Right? We eat local. We buy local. We're, I serve on the BSBPA board, the Business Professional Association, trying to help the businesses thrive really just have opportunities to meet our neighbors. In August, there's going to be movies shown in the park downtown. My family, well, everybody with Bethany and the baby should be there. Because we want to have opportunities just to meet our neighbors. And just love, we love the place that we live. But it also helps us learn the language of our neighbors so we can talk to them, what they care about. So I think that's part of Paul's challenge here. 
Look for ways to speak words that your neighbors understand. Be gracious and be clear. Then he says, go talk about grace graciously. Always be gracious. It's a weird phrase. It can have two different translations. It could also be, let your speech always be full of grace. So I want to put those two together and say, go talk about grace graciously. I think he's got both in mind. Use words that are gentle, that are gracious, that are understandable. But when you talk, talk about what makes the gospel so good, which is God's grace. That's it. Grace is what distinguishes Christianity from every other religion. I saw it this past week. I watched the film with some friends, and we watched this uh, Chinese movie called The King of Masks. It's about an older gentleman who is um, a magician. He's a street worker. And he can change his mask really fast, so fast you don't even know how he does it. But he's old and he has no son. And it's the code the law that only a son can inherit the secret. And so he, he's, he's aging, he goes and adopts a child that he believes is a son, but it turns out to be a girl because girls are just not valued in China in 1930. And he starts out super tender when he thinks it's a boy. And then she, he makes her call him boss, master, when, when he finds out she's a girl. And the whole story is about how does she earn a father's affection? What does she have to do to get him to love her? To be a son, to be an heir. It's, it's the Buddhist parable of the prodigal son. Father doesn't just run and welcome you and give you the whole thing before you fix up your life. No, you got to prove you're trustworthy. You got to earn the gift. Christianity is the complete opposite. Don't you want a father's love and affection that does not change simply because you blew it? One who will welcome you, arms open, waiting on the horizon, waiting for you to see that his kindness will lead you to repentance. One who loved you so much he sent his son to go find you because you were lost, to turn the lights on, so to speak show you his grace. That's what makes the gospel so distinctive. Go speak of God's grace graciously. Use salt. That's the conclusion here. What does it mean to use salt? Well, have you ever heard bland words? Walking dangerously here. Have you ever heard a boring sermon <laughs> that has no salt? Hopefully not this one. I mean, that, that's what it's talking about, is let your words be seasoned with salt. Let them be engaging. Let them be attractive. Let, don't let them be boring. Show that you actually love the one you're talking about. And this is for ordinary people. Don't let your words shut down the conversation. Be winsome. Be attractive in how you talk about Jesus, about life as a Christian. If you want a model, go read Paul's sermons and Acts. When he's in Athens, he's, he's speaking poetry, saying, look, you believe this already. Let me show you where, what your heart's longing for. In Jerusalem, he's quoting the Old Testament scriptures and saying, the one you're longing for is Christ, and he's alive. Paul was never boring. 
his sermons cause riots. Maybe my sermons are boring. I haven't caused a riot yet. Then he says, you must answer. It means if you do these things, people will ask. Right? So that was a lot. I hope it was somewhat practical, but it's saying that the gospel is a mystery revealed to you by grace. And we're sent out then as recipients of that grace to talk about grace graciously. I love the way Blaise Pascal summarizes this whole idea. So he's, he's a 17th century Jesus follower, philosopher, theologian, math nerd. He did a lot. He says, look, men hate religion. They hate it because they're terrified it might be true. And the cure for this is first to show that religion is not contrary to reason, but it's worthy of reverence and respect. Then you have to make it attractive, make people wish it were true, and then show them because Jesus is alive, that it is true. How do you do that? We do that together. We talk about grace graciously amongst ourselves. We're equipped then to go out to get others to say, that is a great story. I wish it were true. Then he can go to this, let me tell you a story. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And he became human and dwelt among us. And he gave his life for you for your sins. He's after you. Will you follow him? Let's pray. Father God, we heard your call uh, to, to respond in faith to your grace. And I pray that that would so move us to talk about Jesus with others. As we are afraid, oh Lord, remind us again that it's not, that the power of the word is in your work, of your words. But even so, give us, give us the creativity and the skill and the desire to be able to talk about Jesus with those who are looking for answers about why they're here. So teach us, Lord, to talk about your wonderful story, the best news ever told, and that we might fall in love with you, and then because we love you, want to talk about you with others. So most of all, we thank you that if we love you, it's because you love us first in Christ. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and say, hear the call of the kingdom will be projected for you. Sing it together. Hear the call
This is a good word from our God. Our, our benediction this month is from Zechariah in Romans. It says, May the weakest, the feeblest among you be like David, strong in faith. May our God of encouragement and endurance give you the grace to live in harmony with one another, as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and one voice we may together glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go now as witnesses of Jesus' grace to you. Amen. 